What did the rich man do that was so bad? As we reflect upon this text, what was his sin? The Scripture really doesn't say. It says he ate really good food. He had nice purple clothes. It doesn't say that he stole to get rich. Was he just enjoying life a little too much? Was he too much of a food snob? If his food was not as good and maybe if his clothes were not as fancy, purple dyed clothes were some of the best top of the line clothes in that day. Maybe would that have gotten him out of Hades? What did he do that was so bad? You know, it seems at first glance like his only crime was simply being rich. There was a rich man. He ended up in Hades. There was a poor man. He ended up sitting up next to Abraham in the nice place. Is it a sin to be rich? If you read the Gospel of Luke, you might be tempted to believe so. You know, it seems like the rich take a lot of hits these days. People who are seen as rich are often characterized as out of touch or selfish or spoiled or apathetic or money hungry. But I think that most people tend to demonize the rich because don't we all want to be rich? We demonize the rich and yet we play the lottery hoping to get rich. How does that work? Rich guys are the bad guys. I hope to be one someday. Back to this man in the story, though. If it is being rich that is actually the problem, then, then it's probably good for us to try to justify ourselves here, right? Surely we're not the rich people in this story. The Bible says just a little earlier that the Pharisees are the ones who like to justify themselves, I want to make sure I'm not just justifying myself. And so I want to dig here a little bit. If being rich was the problem, I just need to make sure I'm below whatever line that one has to cross to be rich. Just get below that line and then I'm okay. What is that line? Well, I looked up the word middle class this week in the uh, online If I can just be middle class, then maybe I can be exempt from being rich and I will avoid the fate of the rich man in the story. Just in case you're wondering about the state of my soul, for a man like myself with a family of six, I'm under the line. I am firmly middle class. So y'all just relax. Your pastor's in good hands. I'm going to print that article out and hand it to Jesus on Judgment Day. See, Jesus, here I am. I'm justified. I have justified myself. You know, but if being rich is the sin and becoming what we now call middle class is what would save us, isn't this just another form of works righteousness of me doing something of my own merit and power to get into God's good graces? Trying to earn my way in. And if that's the case, it can't really be that being rich alone is the actual problem in this scripture. 
The rich man did not end up where he was merely because he had great wealth. For he is talking to Abraham. Abraham, who in his own day, who is firmly within God's good graces in this story, Abraham himself was a very wealthy man. It's funny how many of us see ourselves as poorer than we really are. I'm reminded of um, going with my dad to the parts house one day. I was younger and I just remember going to the parts house and these farmers were all talking around the parts house coffee table and they were all whining about how hard life was and prices of wheat are bad, prices of corn, prices of cattle, and government's taking all our money, blah, 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 blah. Then they go in and get in their $60,000 diesel pickups and drive off. And I'm just sitting there thinking, I know life is more complicated than that, but we all tend to try to, try to think we're poorer than we really are because we kind of look around and compare ourselves not to the people in the Bahamas, but we really compare ourselves to uh, those people who have more than we do. It's not a surprise that we do that. We live in a world whereby our very economy is often driven by marketers who try to convince us that we need more that if you just get this thing then your life is going to be better and then once you get that thing of course there's always another thing that's kind of the way it's kind of the american way isn't it so our focus is generally toward how to get more how to make life better how to make life more comfortable and convenient and so often we don't identify with the rich man in the story. And our definition of rich is something like, rich is whoever has more than me. Those are the rich people. And yet this rich man who is in torment in the place of the dead, the place of death in Hades, this man is pleading with Father Abraham to send poor old Lazarus back from the dead to warn the rich man's brothers to repent. Repent of what? What is it, again, that these brothers are not doing? The text does not say we are left to fill in the blanks. Abraham responds to him and says, well, they have Moses and the prophets. If they just listen to those guys... They'll, they'll know what to do. They'll repent. Oh, but, but Father, Father Abraham, if, if, if you would just send Lazarus, if somebody came back from the dead, I know they would listen. I know they would repent. Abraham says, you know, if they're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets, then they actually won't listen if someone even comes back from the dead. If they don't have ears to hear what God has been doing all along, they're not going to have eyes to see and ears to hear, even if someone who had died is right there in front of their face. Moses and the prophets. Well, what in the world have those guys said that need to be listened to? There's a lot of pages in Moses and those prophets. We need to read that cover to cover. Well, maybe not today, but it wouldn't be a bad thing to do. Jesus has been saying all along in the book of Luke, 
all along. I feel like I've said it every week for the past eight weeks, too, because it's like coming up in every text as we, want, as we go down the road of Luke. He's just saying time and time again, you guys don't get it. You guys have missed the mark. You have failed to be the people of God. From the very beginning, when God raised up Father Abraham and said, I will bless you that the whole world will be a blessing, you have veered off course and you've done exactly not what I have called you to do. And often that has to do with not paying attention to people who tend to fall in the cracks in society. Jesus says, if you would have done what God has wanted you to do all this time, you would be in a much better place and the whole world would see who you are and recognize not only who we are, but who God is. So perhaps... In Moses and the prophets, let's just pick out a few verses and and see what we got. Maybe in Moses, it was the example that God showed them in the book of Exodus when he rescued them from slavery and they were in the wilderness and God provided manna and quail. And he told them to go out and gather the manna and the quail and that if someone had too much and the neighbor had too little, well, the person with more would share with the one who had little so that everybody had what they needed. God was beginning to condition his people Not only to be grateful for what they receive, but to look around them and see what others may be lacking. Or maybe it's Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 7 where God says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, then you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Or maybe it's a little further on in Deuteronomy 24 when he says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who were with you in the land in your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin." Or maybe it's Deuteronomy 24, 19, where he says, When you reap your harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. Leave whatever is left over. Again, for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, the people who are most likely to fall between the cracks. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, don't go back and strip it afterward. Leave the leftovers again for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this, says God, through Moses. So that's the Moses part. Let's check out some prophets here. Isaiah 10, chapter uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. To turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor, my people, of their right. That widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment and the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? So the law was kind of nice, right? The law was like, these are the rules. That's Moses. But the prophets come in and like, here's your spanking for not obeying the rules. 
We continue on in the prophets. Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. When I draw near to you for judgment, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, and those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And then finally, Amos chapter 5. Verse 11, therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. These are just some of the words out of Moses and the prophets that perhaps the rich man should have heeded. What do we learn from the Moses and the prophets? We learn that the Israelites were to take notice of those in need around them. You see, the sin of the rich man is not that he was rich. The sin of the rich man is that he was so absorbed in himself, in his fine clothes, and his sumptuous food, in his own pleasures, that he did not really even notice or regard Lazarus at the gate. He wasn't paying attention. In fact, the first time he really recognizes Lazarus's value was in the afterlife when Lazarus was hanging out right there next to Abraham. Ellie Weasel was a Holocaust survivor and an author, survived being at Auschwitz. And he wrote in one of his many books, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. The rich man was indifferent. How do we guard our hearts from being indifferent, whether we are rich or not? How do we guard our hearts? Paul has some great things to say. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-10, through 10, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, see the word desire there? Fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This sense of contentment versus a love of money. Psalm 62 verse 9 says, Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. And then finally, back to 1 Timothy 6. 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to sell their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So if indifference is the sin, if it's apathy and not noticing is the sin of the rich man, then I think the cure is simply to pay attention and to take notice of what's going on around us. To see and to hear the Lazaruses at our gates, if you will. I know of groups of people who secretly get together and pool their money together so that they can give that to somebody who's going through a hard time. They don't let anybody know who it is. And they bless others by doing so. That's noticing. That's paying attention. That's the kingdom of God that Jesus is announcing. Remember, Jesus here in this context is talking to Israel's leaders. He's taking them to task. He's saying, your vision of God's people is not God's vision. He's calling them lovers of money. He says, you Pharisees have been like the rich man. You have ignored those around you. But there is a better way. There is a kingdom way. I bet we all have a Lazarus or two in our lives at any given point. You don't have to be wealthy. And that person doesn't have to be in extreme poverty. It doesn't even have to be a monetary issue. It could be Anybody, really. Do you see the Lazarus in your life? It's probably not a person on your front porch in dire poverty, like this extreme parable is. But maybe it's somebody who comes to our Second Helpings Food Ministry. Maybe it's a child at Bayless Elementary who comes to our weekly Beach Club Bible study. Maybe it's the person at the grocery store who checks you out. It could be anybody. Do you see the Lazaruses in your life? People that God may be sending you to bless in one way or another. Do you not only see the Lazaruses, but do you hear Moses and the prophets and Jesus' kingdom announcement that the kingdom of God is among you? Do you see His kingdom in your life? Are you paying attention? If you are, then God will show you how to love that Lazarus. He'll show you the way. This summer, I spent two weeks in Kentucky in my first year of residency for my Doctor of Ministry program. And I had the absolute privilege of learning among 45 students. Students that came from all over the world, about half of us were from America, the other half were from Europe, Africa, and Asia, for the most part. And when you're in the midst of a group of international students, and the person on your left is from India, and the person on your right is from Africa, it, it changes the way you think about everything. All of us in different ministry contexts. Well, there was one young man by the name of Matthew that I came to be really good friends with. 
And Matthew is from Liberia in West Africa. Liberia is one of the poorest countries in the world. Top two or three of the poorest countries. And here Matthew is, a fellow student of mine. And Matthew did not have a computer that really could function to the standards that is needed for education in America. In Liberia, they don't just have Wi-Fi in every little place you go. And therefore, their computers don't need Wi-Fi. His computer was several years old. It needed multiple updates. And through a series of God-like events, myself and a few others were able to pitch in and help Matthew get a new computer. It was a true joy. I felt so blessed to be a part of this. Just to be a a small fraction of what God is doing in Matthew's life. And part of my ability to do this is because there's been so many people who've been generous to me in life. People who've been generous to me even in my attempt to go to school. Because of that generosity and ultimately God's generosity, I was able to play a part in helping out someone else. And it was great. It's the highlight of my summer. Now, I'm not saying that I always get it right. I don't. There are probably lots of things I don't notice out there. I'm often consumed with my life and my things I feel like I have to do to notice everything that God wants to show me. But when I do... I feel so blessed. And I think when we get to do that, we, we're participating in God's kingdom. And if we can do that in this world and in this life, then we're getting a foretaste of what that world and that life will be even beyond this life. May God give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear His kingdom right now, in 2019, in each of our lives, at each of our gates. Let us pray. Jesus, would you open our eyes to see how it is that you want to use us? Help us to see how we are blessed Help us to see the ways in which we might actually be rich. Maybe we're rich financially. Maybe we're rich in time. Maybe we're rich in education. Maybe we are rich in compassion. And maybe you're sending us to somebody who is poor in any of those areas. Give us the grace, O God, to pay attention, to take notice. Lord, we only do this because you paid attention and you took notice of us. We celebrate and we remember on this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.